0: Hey everybody, welcome to Geeky Dads, talking about geeky things, I'm JJ Johnson, and joining me tonight on the show is Steve Raza. Steve, what's going on, man?
1: JJ, how's it going?
0: Oh, pretty good, just a typical Saturday afternoon, you know. Hey, what about you?
1: Uh, Yeah, my Saturday was pretty lazy, got up late, played a bunch of Minecraft, (laughs) should have been writing, didn't write, that's okay. Work on that some other time. I got a three day weekend this weekend, so you know that's all right. Nice.
0: Yeah, I had a four day weekend last week, and then I got a four day or a five day weekend coming up, so I'm pretty.
1: Uh Yes, next weekend we're going out of town. We're going to drive from Buffalo, Wyoming, to Seattle, and back again, so that my older boy can look at what schools he wants to go to once he gets done with his two year community college. Nice. So we're going to stop in Missoula for a tour on the way back, and we'll be at University of Washington on Monday. Not this coming Monday, but the Monday after. Yeah. So. Well,
0: that sounds like a fun trip, man.
1: Should be. Never driven that way before. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: So tonight, uh, Steve and I are going to be talking about Daredevil and the MCU. And specifically the is over on Disney plus, but uh, specifically the show that came out starting what was that 2016 2015
1: 2015. I was pulling up my old column that I wrote for Enclave publishing so I got the details right. Yes, <laughs> 2015. It right. seemed like forever but uh, yeah
0: yeah it does and it seems and, and I like you, I, I love this because you know, we have been dealing with, we've been getting a lot of good films in the MCU. Some that were kind of questionable, but at the same time, this one, it, it seemed to take that dark night approach. You got something that was a little bit more grittier, a little more dark. And I don't know, for me, I ate it up and I know you're a huge Daredevil fan too. So I'm, Very curious to hear about some of your thoughts on these characters and these these couple seasons here. So,
1: well, yeah, you know, it was uh, it was kind of I don't want to say golden age, (laughs) but it was kind of that time when Marvel was taking a lot of risks by developing these shows with Netflix. You know, they had Daredevil and Luke Cage and Iron Fist and Jessica Jones all kind of running. Uh, together, really, uh, while they were still while they were doing Agents of Shield over on ABC, but and you know they brought those four characters together in the miniseries The Defenders. So yeah. it was it was really a interesting side adventure to the movies that they were playing with. And you know, there's always questions back and forth. You know, is this canon or is this not? We'll leave we'll leave Kevin Feige to figure that out, I guess. But, uh, you know, it's they made a lot of references to the movies here and there. Uh, not big ones, but some aspects were pretty well-grounded in them.
0: All right, so let's talk. Let's, let's go through some of these characters. Sure. Uh, and just, you know, obviously there's a little differences from the comic books versus the, uh, versus the, the film. But mm-hmm. uh, let's start with Matt Murdock, you know, a.k.a you know, Daredevil, you know, this wine sort of me and then this butt-kicking vigilante by night. Um, one of the things I like about it, especially, you know, it shows there, because there wasn't any of these scenes, at least for me, I didn't feel like. It. But I, I love, especially in season one, the flashback scenes. Yeah. Uh, sort of showing the accident, but specifically showing the relationship with two different people. One, his relationship with his father, uh, who was this boxer that always seemed to, I think he was losing for money on purpose.
1: Well, he was, yeah, he was, he wasn't a very good boxer. He was kind of down on his luck and he was, he was pretty good. You know, he was all right. And he gets offered the chance to throw a fight. And the yeah. whole crux of it, of course, is that instead of throwing the fight, he decides to fight his best, and he wins it. And it's all that money that he wins that when he later is killed, all that money goes to Matt right. as a well, you know, in holding for him, like in a trust or whatever. I think is what the deal was.
0: <clears throat> yeah, and um, of course, you know, you know, his, you know, Matt sees this. Matt knows this uh, sort of as well, and. I don't know you. I, I feel like the theme of Daredevil season one is Matt Murdock really sort of coming to grip with this anger because right there at the beginning, um, I think it was these sex traffickers. He just goes crazy on them and just keeps oh yeah, them. and so you really have the season. You know, it's dealing with his anger, dealing with uh, some of his his pain. But he's got sort of this mentor that he ends up facing later in the season, uh, coming face to face, and that is, oh, gosh, is it Stick?
1: Stick, yes. Played by, oh, shoot. Now, dang it, I can't remember the actor's name. He's great. He was in Hunt for Red October. Okay, I'm going to have to look it up now.
0: Yeah, I can't it was
1: The guy who was in Hunt for Red October, he was in Aliens, or Alien, I should say, Um Scott Glenn, that's who it is. Who's played, like, everything. And his character was fantastic.
0: Yeah, especially, you know, he, he wants a... Um, it's been so long since I've seen it, but he takes Matt down, or, you know, Daredevil Matt, down to sort of these docks, and they're looking for... I can't remember what they're looking for, but ends up being this kid. Mm-hmm. And um, Stick ends up Killing the kid, and then they end up fighting.
1: Yeah, in Matt's living room.
0: (laughs) Yeah, in his living room.
1: Uh huh.
0: And then it's it's, okay. I'm trying to remember it. I think he gets a strange phone call at the end, and was asking me. I think it was if we left you hanging, really.
1: Yeah, they kind of set it up for season two with his brief couple of appearances in the season one stuff. Um, And that opened it up into a wider world in season two. Wider story world, I guess you could say. No, but I think, you know, the the Matt character is great. I mean, I'd written this whole thing because this is really the only time, I don't think it's ever been done since then with any sort of MCU, Marvel, TV or movie property. I mean, this is the only example you ever get of any superhero talking about a christian faith of any kind
0: that is true that is true i hadn't thought about that but
1: he's there's so much throughout those three seasons his um his uh relationship with the priest father Lantham, who's like his mentor also like his mentor but like the good mentor <laughs> yeah. the one who teaches him how to not be a rage monster basically yeah um,
0: I actually remember reading that article that you wrote. Uh, I believe it was on Enclave. Is that right? It was on
1: Enclave? Yeah. All
0: right, so let's kind of move on to the next character. Let's move on to
1: Foggy. <laughs> Foggy's great. Foggy's just like, you know, he's that kind of sidekick character that is always fun because he's kind of stereotyped. And so... He doesn't have to be as serious. I mean, he gets lots of really good serious moments throughout the three seasons, and there is some character development there, especially when he starts dealing with stuff later on, like his own family legacy and stuff like that. But, you know, stuff... What's the one I always reference to get a good picture of him? Season two, when they're walking down the street together, and he notices... You know, Matt, of course, is portraying himself as being blind. Uh, He is blind, but, you know... He's acting like a normal blind person would in public. Yeah, and Foggy makes mention that he's got blood on the back of his neck from whatever you know fight he was doing the night before. And he starts rubbing it. He helps Matt kind of rub it over there. And he's like, he's like, you got to stop this, you know, because Karen Page, their other character, I assume we'll get to the other character. She's getting real suspicious, asking questions about you, and like what's wrong, because you seem like you're injured and tired. And Matt's like, "Well, what'd you tell her?" And he's like, "Eh, I told her you have a drinking problem." <laughs> and Matt just burst out laughing. He's like, "Foggy, that's terrible." He's like, "Yeah, it is." <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes in this rant about how he, you know, he's upset because he doesn't want to have to cover for him, and he doesn't want to find his friend dead somewhere, and things. But you know, this is the whole his whole attitude, <laughs> yeah. uh, and things like you know when he when he asks Matt at one point when he's mad at him, I think it might be when he finds out his secret at some point but he gets upset because he thinks Matt's been faking being blind the whole time that they've known each other. And he gives him the finger. He says, how many fingers am I holding up? And Matt just kind of sighs and says one, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not kind of, I think it's great because it feels like the writers got to put all that fun stuff. You know, Matt's got some sarcasm and wit to him too, but they really saved most of it for foggy.
0: Yeah, and you know Foggy, Foggy really is more than just comedic relief. Some people just kind of that, that that character, but he is somebody who who Matt relies on really heavily. Yeah, and you know you have that betrayal of trust there. Uh, you know when when Foggy actually learns his secret and then ends up doing you know getting drunk and doing something stupid himself, but. Uh-huh. Uh, so I mean, but yeah, I like Foggy. I felt like he was more than just that typical sidekick that's just there to laugh things like that. I felt like he really, especially in season two, uh, him and Karen kind of have their own little plot going on over here to the side, and I felt like that, you know, they really, they really developed him in, in a pretty good way. And so I, I really like Foggy. He's one of my favorite characters. Now let's move on to, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank on her name, the nurse. Um, oh, Claire. Claire. Yes. Now she's kind of, <laughs> she's uh, one that tells him, "Hey, <laughs> body armor," because um, you know, she gets tired of stitching him up, and she knows, <laughs> she knows early on uh, what's going on. So. What are your thoughts on Claire? Because she was an interesting character.
1: You know, I thought she was kind of, I liked the character, especially as she got more involved with stuff in season two. And it was interesting to have somebody who was kind of normal and outside of things as a counterpoint to try to talk to Matt about like, this is insane. And, you know, the risks he was taking, things like that. Although I did feel like at some points in the show, one of my critiques was that there was a lot of that going on. There were like a handful of different people to tell him, hey, you know, you got to be careful. You got to take it easy. This isn't good. And it's like, yeah, he gets that. Meanwhile, Stick is over there saying, just kill some people. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's like, (laughs) no, we don't do that either. Um, I thought it was clever of them to use her later on as like the link between everything when you get to the Defender series because she knows Matt and then later on she knows um, she knows Luke Cage and yeah. I forget what her link was to Danny Rand and um, oh the other character Colleen Wing who were in Iron Fist I forget but that was kind of like, how, if you ever watch the Defenders show, that's how they wound up bringing them all together, really. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting move there. I don't know. I thought she was a, it's kind of like a good normal every person character, but I felt like she was kind of a little overused once you got to the multiple shows. It was like, oh, and now here's Claire again. And oh, well, there's Claire also. And it's like, everybody was taking advice from her on stuff. And it's like, okay, that's kind of interesting, I guess.
0: Yeah, I but, felt the I same- mean,
1: you, something to remember too is that unlike the, these newer Marvel shows that are coming out now, these were long seasons. And these were like sixteen plus episodes, I think. I don't, well, maybe I'm maybe I'm exaggerating that, but they felt like they were a lot longer. Which was one of my gripes I've had with the newer Disney stuff. It's like, what six episodes? Give me more than that. I need more for my money, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I fe-
0: I felt the same way. I felt like you know in Daredevil. Just itself I felt like they used her very well once you started getting to the other shows and it was sort of she was the link uh, I felt like it was just too convenient
1: Um, yeah yeah that's a good way to put it
0: yeah so I I think she's a good character I liked her I liked her as that normal everyday character which sometimes you don't always get Um, so but I mean she's sitting there and like I said you know (laughs) She's the one that tells him, hey, you need to get some armor. So, yeah. uh, Anyway, now let's move on before we get to our two favorite villains. Let's move on to Karen Page. So she joins the law firm as a. Because she has been um, falsely accused of this crime. And one of the things I love about the show is it shows Matt's ability because he he was able to tell that she was telling the truth because of her heart rate. He could uh-huh. sense And I felt like, you know, this show does such a great job of showing his heightened sentence, senses uh, in a way that really kind of exploited who he was. But Karen, I don't want to say she's, she's weak because, you know, obviously we get to one of the two villains you realize she isn't weak when she exactly. kills, kills Wesley um you know she's not weak but at the same time she is also not cut out for for this life of underground syndicate crime fighting at least not in the first season you don't get that you she's still a weak character but mm-hmm. I think that scene I rewatched it today we, between her and Wesley. I think that was one of the best scenes in that first season um, because I felt like it—it it took a guy who was arrogant, showed a simple mistake, and it took a girl who was frightened, um, you know, partially abused, and all she had to do was pull the trigger, and uh-huh. he did it the reaction that she had of what she had just done was so honest and authentic that I felt like it really. And then you pick up on the next episode. He's in like the shower, just like falling Now, Like, what have I done? So what are your thoughts on Karen?
1: Well, I always liked her character. Now, again, I didn't know very much about the characters coming into this over in some side. Now, other than some side knowledge from when my brother was, reading some of the later daredevil comics that were out in the 90s i think 90s early 2000s anyway so i was familiar a little bit with her story and background so i knew there was gonna they were gonna get into some stuff about her past but it was just interesting watching how you know from the beginning she's not telling everybody the whole truth about everything um you know even trying to trick matt which he knows when she's lying a couple times But it's, I always thought it was neat how, yeah, that whole bit with Wesley, it's like, he's doing the calculation of, ah, see, if you intimidate and scare somebody enough, they'll do exactly what you want. But he kind of forgets that there's some people, like, if you intimidate and scare them enough, they're going to snap. And she snapped. You know, it was like, he pulled out the threat. And most people would have been like, oh, no he's going to do whatever he threatened to do. I'm not going to back down. But she's like, Nope. And like you said, it surprises them both. I liked how the character went through a lot of the seasons. You know, there was some, there were some times when like with any of those kind of characters, the writers, I think leaned a little too heavy into the persona. Sometimes it was like, Oh wait, now Karen's in trouble again or something like that. But I didn't feel like it was too bad. Really. Uh, I liked what they did with her and, Frank Castle in the second season and then later in the Punisher show, because she played a big role in the Punisher spinoff that they did. Um, So I thought they did good developing her character there. It's almost like she goes on the same kind of similar kind of crusades that Daredevil does, except she doesn't fight. It's like she's doing her own thing to try to bring these to bring these wrongs to light now that she's doing newspaper reporting and stuff like that. But, uh, so it's, it's, they've got this similar kind of thing going on. And whereas he's more direct about his investigating and fighting, she's more like behind the scenes, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's just pretty neat to see. And it's especially neat when the three of them get together. Cause then the writers lean heavily on like them having fun together and ragging on each other. And it's, it's, it just feels really accurate, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I feel like the same, and and like I said, I, I we'll get the season two discussion here in a minute, but her relationship with Frank Castle, um, kind of put her at odds a little bit with with Matt in some mm-hmm. ways. Um, I feel like it 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 showed a little bit of empathy.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what, a good way to put it. Her character is really good at at developing that empathy towards other people.
0: Right, right. So. All right, now let's move on to our two favorite villains. I've, Unlike some villains that we get in most superhero films, I really, uh, really hit it out of the park because they're so normal in, in such a hum- humanity-type way. Uh-huh. And it, like I said, he's he's a lawyer. He's brilliant. But he uses psychological... He uses social psychology basically to intimidate, um, intimidate people. That scene where the guy is sitting on the park bench, you
1: know,
0: <laughs> eating a sandwich, and he comes up and he says twenty-two, however many dollars, and he pulls up a, a little iPad and it, you know his daughter's at college and says call her, He calls her, and then he says, hey, the guy on the bench. Doesn't do
1: things the clean way. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Now the, the one thing that the one thing that was funny about that was that the guy on the bench kind of reminded me of, um, oh, I can't remember the character's name. He was on that '70s show. He was kind of like the nerdy kid who was from Pakistan or India or wherever he was from. Was it? Yeah. his? Was that anyway? When I was watching that scene, it was creepy, but part of my head was going it looks just like what's this thing for that seventy show like shut up other part of the brain we don't want to talk about that right now this is creepy
0: yeah and like i said, he he's 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 made evil in, in so many ways and he's doing this he's doing the dirty work of it. but he doesn't such a way that it creeps you out. It just creeps you out. Just how cold he is with his tone and with the way he addresses people. And to me, that that's the scariest type of villain.
1: Uh huh.
0: Anyway, any yeah, other his,
1: his, his interactions with the Russian mafia brothers were some of my favorite because they, you could tell the one brother was intimidated and trying not to be. The other brother just didn't care. At all and the guy and Wesley kept trying to tell him to not say Wilson Fisk's name out loud and the Russian guy just glares at him and, you know, spits the name back at him and keeps referring to uh, Wesley as his lapdog <laughs> to the point. I think he even made like barking noises at him at one point, but yeah, I, their interactions were great because that was fun watching him try to intimidate someone with his normal tactics and it wasn't working as so he was kind of getting frustrated. So that was that was neat to see him not necessarily having control in that situation.
0: Yeah, I think what it showed is it shows that sometimes even a villain is limited
1: based off of who they're dealing
0: with. And obviously dealing with two rushing dudes versus dealing with, you know, a Karen Page or a guy who's in debt $22,000 is totally different. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to Fisk. William Fisk, man, what I like about it is that, and I felt like they showed this so well. This is a guy who struggles, uh, not necessarily just with anger. Obviously, when he's slamming the dude's car, you know, head in the car door, he's obviously got an anger problem. Mm-hmm. At, don't interrupt his dinner, basically. <laughs> uh, but he's he's got a sim- sensitive side to him, uh, w- with the way he he cares, or at least shows that he cares, with Vanessa, um, with the flashback scenes with his father, uh, the mirror scene where he kind of that's how he sees himself, you know. And you get you get side kind of in some way twisted way loves uh, certain people and it's twisted (laughs) and thick but there's a complexity to him that you don't get with most villains
1: um there definitely is and you know i would actually say that some of his love that he has for other people like his love for vanessa I don't really think his love for Vanessa was twisted necessarily. Well, maybe it was somewhat, but it seemed like that was the most normal relationship he had. Yeah. Yeah, it it was, but but definitely like all of his other ones had this element of like, oh, that's that's not okay. (laughs) Yeah, and what's interesting
0: about this is that Vanessa was such a normal person uh-huh. that she felt 100% completely safe with him so there had there was something to him that, that even you know made her feel a little bit of empathy herself for him but also uh, that that same love in return, and you know, even though you know she knew there was something more complex going on, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that does. That's an interesting way to put it too.
0: All right, so let's get into this season one discussion. Well, we'll try and get through season one and two. I don't know if we'll make it the three, but definitely one and two because there's there. I think they're they're totally different seasons. Oh yeah. I mean, many many ways um so season one you you don't really know figure out who the who fisk is until like the third or fourth episode i think i think you're right and i think it was when right before murdoch uh now, did he throw one of them off the building? One of the Russian brothers,
1: or was that this? It wasn't. I don't know if it was a Russian guy. I think it was a Russian guy. It was. Yeah, he did throw a guy off into the dumpster. Okay. Oh yeah, well, it was one of the Russian mob guys. Because then later his buddies, uh, like gave him a drug so he could recover from his coma, even though it like killed him in the process or something. Right,
0: right. So this was a very simple
1: plot. I mean,
0: you know, you have. You have the Russian mob guys over here. You have Fisk who's trying to do all this stuff in Hell's Kitchen. And, you know, and then, of course, Matt's coming onto the scene. Um, and so it's your typical, you know, sort of Hell's Kitchen, Gotham-type plot, you know. Oh, yeah. Trying to, I'm trying to um, I think. The, I think what's interesting... Is when Fisk tells Daredevil, look, I admire you. I admire your conviction, but the way you're doing this is wrong. I'm trying to save the city, <laughs> not you.
1: Yeah, I think that's great how they contrast the two of them. And the difference, of course, is that Matt has boundaries and limits to what he's willing to do. And Fisk has none. Exactly. Because just like, he's like, I, and he's, he's, he's upfront about it. He's kind he kind of reminds me of the operative from, from the Serenity movie. When he he tells Malcolm Reynolds, he's like, I know I'm a monster. I know what I'm doing is terrible and evil, but I'm doing it to make a better world. And I fully understand that the minute we get that better world, there's going to be no place for me in it whatsoever. Now, Fisk, I don't know if Fisk is on that same wavelength, but he's got that same attitude of like, the ends justify literally any means that I can take.
0: Right. And he shows that when he blows up all. uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: all All the russian places all the drug dens just blows them all up like yep they have to do it vanessa's like (laughs) okie dokie like wait what
0: (laughs) now of course the thing that there was with those bombings is that the older woman uh who was a client of matt Uh, oh yes yeah yeah and so there's that motion emotional uh kind of motivation right there for Matt. And here's a guy that deals with anger and he's trying so hard. You see this so much. That... Last minute. Uh,
1: well, and it's, it's what I think is interesting is how much they both lean on the anger of both of them. And it's almost like Fisk has better control of it than Matt does in a sense. I mean, until you get to the end of the season, of course, and then that shows you how, excuse me, Matt has kind of mastered his, and Fisk is the one who loses control in their final smackdown the last episode of the season.
0: I would agree with, I think, I think Matt's story arc
1: here in season one is him learning
0: to control his anger in, in a way and, and, and find that point where he holds back. And you see that with his relationship with, with Vlad. Um uh, and one of the russian guys right there you know they get to the end is that did all this not me.
1: uh-huh well so, and, and plus you you i think you start to see glimmers of his control when he rescues claire from being kidnapped which i th- i know lots of people talk about like the hallway fight scene and things like that but that's like one of the creepiest episodes because for most of that fight against the Russians you don't even see him he's just in the shadows somewhere and people keep getting picked off left and right like there's a monster hiding like in a typical horror movie or something like that and then Claire starts laughing at one point <laughs> and the bad guys are like uh, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah I thought that was I, that's one of my favorites from that first season
0: yeah I mean the hallway scene I mean it's fun choreography it's a fun fight scene but mm-hmm. I mean really it's just him breaking in and beating up a bunch of guys. Yeah. Uh, but I think the scene that you're talking about are more impactful. I think it showed the depths of which, of, you know, that he was willing to go to just to rescue her. Uh-huh. You know, that sometimes you don't need to be out front fighting. Sometimes um, sometimes it's safer to be the devil in the shadows. So yep. Definitely. All right, let's move on to season two
1: discussion because now it is uh, <laughs> yeah the other villain slash hero that we're talking about
0: one um, of my Marvel characters of all time and that is the Punisher now before we start I I went back and started rereading Frank Miller's run on the Punisher or Daredevil <laughs> uh, like 1964 on Marvel Unlimited and it was a, it was a Issues one eighty three and one eighty four. Uh, he brings in Daredevil and the Punisher, and some of the things that, that happen within those two issues. You also sort of get some of the conflict within this. Within this, this. So let's get into this. Let's start out with, let's just start out with Frank Castle because he brings a different element to this season uh, than we had with season one.
1: Yeah, I mean, season two is all about the, you know, kind of, it's kind of addressing the same thing that was going on with Fisk. It's like, you know, Fisk had no boundaries to what he was doing. And here you get a guy who has no boundaries also, but he's technically a good guy. Now, from Matt's perspective, he's, you know, a rogue and has to be stopped. But from Frank's perspective, he's like, well, you're just, what's the phrase he uses is a half measure. You know, yeah, he just he just hits guys and they go to jail and then they're back on the street. Frank Castle's I, like, "Well, I take care of them, and then that's it. <laughs> no more problem." I think
0: the theme in this season is sort of um, morally gray. Yeah, uh, right absolutism, and I think you see that play out so well. the The rooftop scene where he is sitting there and he's chained. And this poor dude is sitting there just waiting. Am I gonna die or what? Uh huh. And I'm sorry, oh god, I'm drawing the blank on the guy that played him. Um, what's this phrase from The Walking Dead?
1: Played Shane. John Bernthal. yes, Bernthal. Yep. uh huh. Uh huh.
0: Nominal job.
1: Oh, right. yeah, he did a great job. He's a great actor.
0: And I think what they did right here at the beginning is they they sort of presented Frank one, one of the things that I liked about his. His arc in this season is, is, you know, at first he's kind of presented this, this, Oh, I'm this gun loving, you know, guy. And then all of a sudden, Hey, I'm this planty that's just out there shooting people up. And then you get to his story and you get to the part with him and, you know, Karen and, you know, court case and all this stuff. And you start, what they do is they make you really start to develop a little bit of empathy uh, for for the Punisher, Corey, uh-huh. and this is something that goes with he, he. He, I mean, he struggles seeing things the way or understand. I guess you could say in the same way that uh, that Karen and probably Foggy do. So what are your thoughts on Matt's relationship with
1: uh Well, I think it's I think it's interesting to see, yeah, you know, like you say, first that conflict, and Matt is trying to say that look, even the scummiest murderer, whoever, has a possibility of being redeemed, and that's his faith element coming to play. Whereas Frank is like, nah, no, they don't. And so that's really where they're being they're coming to um loggerheads at each other what's really interesting is that when you that guy who you know the criminal who is who punisher wants to kill and matt doesn't want him to and then when punisher does later on you know the same father lantern character gives the sermon at that guy's funeral and there's nobody at the funeral except for matt karen and foggy because of karen and foggy's legal relationship with him there and so Father Lantum talks about the importance of one life, you know, a quote unquote good life versus a sinful life and even the connections that are made there. Um, so it's, it was an interesting look at that. And I think it kind of makes Matt even more determined to kind of stop Punisher. But then when you get to the end of the season, you know, Punisher's there to help Matt out. And he's doing basically the same thing he did before taking sniper shots at these killer ninjas, which is a whole other part of the season, by the way. But, um, you know, he's dropping these ninjas left and right with headshots and Matt doesn't even care. Now that's because of something else that happened, but I don't know if we'll go into that or not, but it was just interesting how it's almost like Matt makes that concession at that point in the fight that, Maybe there are times when Frank's methods are called for,
0: right? Yeah, I remember he just sitting up there at the top and just uh uh-huh. huh, off one by one, and he just says, See you around, Red, and that's it, that's all you see. That's all you
1: see of him. And I, I kind of, you know, I, I laughed in a little way, not because the scene was funny, because it was pretty impactful, but I had a good chuckle at the idea of these, you know, semi immortal super creepy, spooky ninjas who think they're all that. And meanwhile, this dude on the roof with the rifle is just like, mm, yeah, no, it doesn't work so good when you're far away from me, does it? And they're yeah. just, yeah, you know, one after the other going down. I'm like, oh, yikes.
0: Now, you, there was two other... Because <laughs> this this show, first of all, it was far more violent than season one.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, um, and that and says it, a lot because season one was pretty violent.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you have these other subplots going on. You know, this one subplot over here with where Frank's in prison. Uh-huh. Got, you know, Fisk trying to do his manipulative thing again. And you, know, you have the entire prison scene with oh golly, yeah. <laughs> with Punisher. And it's just like, oh my gosh, how can anybody survive this guy? And then uh so that's a that's an entire subplot over here to the side. Mm. Then you get over here to the other side and you got Electra, And what were, what were they called? The Hand?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. The Hand. And then the good guys were the Chase. And that was stick and hits people. And, yeah. I don't know. I Some people didn't like the whole thing of the Hand. I like the whole thing of the creepy Hand and the ninjas and then, you know, the stuff you find out about them and the Defenders and whatnot. They kind of gave, like, this darker, almost mystical element to the story universe. And at the time, people complained about it. And I'm like, okay, well, meanwhile, you fast forward, now Marvel's doing werewolves, so you can kind of stop complaining. And, and vampires and stuff. It's like, it's okay. Because people, at the, I remember people at the time were like, Ugh, we've got S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hydra. How did they not know about the hand? And It's like, how did nobody ever talk about Blade? Or the werewolf show that was coming out or whatever. So don't worry about it. Anyway, I, I really liked the electric character. I yeah. thought it was great because she was kind of like an anti-Matt but in a subtler way. You know, she wasn't like in your face as much as Punisher was.
0: Yeah. She had sort of, she had a, she was sort of a cross between the two of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Her, her view was sort of, look, I'm going to stab you and take you out. But, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, there's, there's a reason behind what I'm doing. Um, so, it's a, I don't know, man. She was, I mean, there was a lot of gray with her character, and like, like you with the hand, I would not mind the hand. I, yeah, I we preferred some other than Sigourney Weaver over there, probably beating them. But <laughs> um, for the most part, I enjoyed the hand. Um, I felt like they could have more with that plot, and it felt like they were holding back some. Um, and yeah. so I. F- a little bit more context uh, with that. that plot. All right, so I mean now season three and I, there's a lot about this season I don't recall. <laughs> so <laughs> I rely a lot
1: on season three is the one where you basically have two daredevils and great. they and they set you up for daredevils you know, other ultimate nemesis bullseye from the comics and actually technically get to him sort of but they set it up pretty well i think that's what season four was going to do was focus on him they certainly left it open for that yeah
0: which i which i i hope that um as they produce it and, and get back into daredevil that Eventually, now have they announced? Are they actually going to do a season four?
1: Well, what they've announced is that there is going to be a I don't know what you would call it, but it's like a 19 episode season show, kind of like when they did Hawkeye and only did one season. Um, but this is 19 episodes and it's called Daredevil Born Again. And to talk to the actor Charlie Cox, who played Matt Murdock. You shouldn't expect it to be season four of Daredevil. You should expect it, he says, to be season one. But I don't know if that's what he really means. You know what I mean? As a side note to this, so, you know, one of the things that was really good about season three, actually, that it ended where it did is, other than the element of Bullseye, it really brought a close to those three seasons. Like, it was a pretty good ending point, as far as I'm concerned. Like, the fact that there wasn't a season four was disappointing, but it's great that it ended where it did. Yeah. Because that whole, the whole final showdown between Daredevil and Fisk, you're just kind of like on the edge of your seat, holding your breath as Matt's like, yeah, it's like, I don't want to say anything about that because people got to watch it for themselves. Yeah. But that's why it makes it so interesting now that they're pulling both Wilson Fisk and Matt Murdock into the MCU at large.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause you get him in, um, you get him in Spider Man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, basically, you know, telling Happy, hey, you're, you're screwed. And <laughs> the rest of you, <laughs> right? rest of you are okay. <laughs> and, uh, and then of course, I haven't watched She Hulk yet. Um, just cause I'm watching like three other shows and, oh, but, yeah. right. um, It's my understanding he shows up in in Daredevil shows up in She-Hawk,
1: right? So I watched that episode this week and a lot of people were worried and nervous. Like, are they going to nerf him? Is he going to be too happy-go-lucky? Was it going to be? I thought they did really well with it. So one of the things you have to prepare yourself for is that, of course, this is more of a superhero-y show than a gritty vigilante show. So, of course, they're going to depict him that way a little bit. They his abilities are almost like dialed up like he still does the typical things where you know he can sense people's heartbeat he can tell whether they're lying he can smell things from you know all those things we saw him do those subtle things but when it comes to his fighting style they've amped it up to make him seem like he's even more of an expert than he was in the t in the three seasons which yeah. i think to me makes sense because if it's They won't admit whether the Daredevil shows or anything were quote-unquote canon to the MCU or not, right? But I feel like if you think about it, the first show was out in 2015. The last show was 2018. So let's say that in the show there was like two or three years worth of time in the show. Well, then you have the snap and things like that. And the newest stuff of Marvel is taking place a couple of years ahead of what is our actual year that we're in so it's all like 2025 or something like that i think you know as opposed to 2022 or 23. so that means that it's been like you know it's been five six years since the events of that show if they were still considered canon which would make perfect sense to me Then that he's developed his skills even better his abilities are ramped up. Now it may just be that they're reinventing him a little bit for the show and I'm thinking too much into it, but you know, Um, he definitely was more lighthearted, but I wasn't disappointed by that because after three seasons of him being very angsty, I was ready for a happy Matt Murdock. I mean, that was, that was my one real critique of the whole show was that as great as all that character development was, there were times I'm like, dude, you need to lighten up. (laughs) You know, I mean, yeah. even even people who had a lot in their lives happening, like Foggy and Karen didn't feel to me as beat down as Matt was.
0: Yeah, and I think that was one that, that was one of his. Um, I mean, it was sort of his crutch the whole
1: season. Yeah, it was. And that, like I say, that's my biggest critique of the whole Daredevil series as a whole. And it's hard to find critiques, but that's the one is it like. It's not until he gets to the end of Season 3 that he really accepts like his dual life, who he is, the decisions he's making. So what's interesting about his appearance in She-Hulk is that he's in a good mood. You know, he's not gloomy. He's not down. He's taking things seriously, especially when he's doing his courtroom scenes. And he's talking about things like superheroes and the importance of maintaining their secret identity so it doesn't threaten the people that they love, which is you know you could pull that right out of his dialogue from the show from the previous show um yeah so i was happy with it it was great to see him on screen kicking butt again
0: yeah i've you know and of course i've heard mixed reviews about she hulk some people love it some people don't
1: and yeah i'm kind of mixed on the show as a whole too but that episode was a very good one yeah
0: yeah i i sort of just like you know there's things I like, and there's things I don't like. And then there's things I'm just like, you know what? It satisfies an itch. I'm going to watch it. So, and that's probably how I feel about this one. So, yeah. All right, man. Well, it's been good having you on and, uh, talking about daredevil. I, like I said, this is one of my favorite. I'm sure You totally. Uh, I use my favorite in the comics and, um, I don't know what it says about me as a person. but. <laughs>
1: We like rule breakers who are good guys. Quote, unquote, good guys, sort of.
0: (laughs) All right. Everybody, this has been Geeky Dads talking about geeky things. That's a wrap.